Well, if you have your Bible or you're using your uh, an app on your phone or, or whatnot, you can get that out now because we are looking at Jonah chapter 3 today. And we've been spending time each week together reading through the chapter that we're looking into. And so we want to spend that time this morning as well in Jonah chapter 3. If you have a chapel Bible that you picked up in the back, we are on page 743. 743. So let's, let's read this. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from the throne, he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herd and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. You know, you might find this interesting or you might find this disappointing. I'm not sure which, but I didn't want to teach Jonah chapter 3. I wanted to teach Jonah chapter 4, but that's next week with, with Pastor Eric. And I didn't want to teach Jonah chapter 3 because it didn't initially draw me in. Honestly, it left me thinking to myself, what is so unique about this chapter? I mean, here we see Jonah doing what he was supposed to do to begin with, and we see God responding to the Ninevites exactly how I would expect God to respond. There was nothing surprising to me in it. Then I prayed. And I prayed that God would open my heart and my eyes to what he might have me to share in this chapter, and I, I believe he has done that. And so I wonder if you would just go on this journey with me this morning for a moment. I wonder if you would think of a risk in your life, a time in your life when you took a risk, when you did something where, where you were forced to put everything on the line, everything. And you knew taking this risk was going to be dangerous, and it could perhaps lead you to one of two outcomes. Either you were going to have the outcome of grave disappointment, or something incredible was going to happen. One or the other. But it was a risk, and you knew you had to take it. Maybe for some of you it was stepping out into a relationship. Maybe for some it was, it was actually stepping out into maybe a marriage proposal. Or, or maybe your risk had to do with your kids or your family or even changing homes. 
Maybe your risk was sharing with someone about your faith. I don't know what your risk was, but in all of those circumstances, there's two possible outcomes. Either grave disappointment or something incredible could happen. In almost all those scenarios, I have taken risk as well. I remember the day clearly that the chapel called me to come visit this church for the first time. And, and when they did, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you here, I was hurt by church. I was struggling with church. My heart was hard towards church. I had walked away from a job of school teaching. I had started a, a landscaping company that I had always loved to do and was passionate about. Things were going well. I was growing. I was making money. I had a name for myself in the community. I was, I was respected in the industry. I, I, was, I was having fun. I was, I was excited about it. I was progressing down that path. And then the chapel called. And I'm not too embarrassed to admit the first time they called, my reaction wasn't the greatest. Leadership said, Charles, would you be willing to come to the chapel for a visit? And my response was, no, I didn't want to. So I didn't. And, and, and when that happened, I got into a huge argument with God, an argument that, that led me to questioning God. An argument that led me to say, God, why? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Well, long story short, here I am. <laughs> I, 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 God was so gracious with me. And, and he began to change my heart, and he showed me what it could look like to serve at a church with people who cared about me and my family. And so after multiple asks and after multiple no's, Trisha and I finally decided maybe it was it's time to take a risk, a big risk, one that could lead in either disaster or something incredible. Well, I've been at the chapel now for 13 years. During that time, I have met amazing people who has loved me and my family and encouraged us. I have grown so much. I have learned more about ministry and entrusting God than I ever had known. I've seen people take their next steps in relationships. I've seen people take their next steps in relationships with God. I've seen people take their first steps in relationships with God. I, I, I have... I have been a part of weddings, funerals, child dedications, focus classes. I, I have sat with families who were celebrating the most amazing times of their life, and I've sat with families who were, who were grieving over the hardest times in their life. I've served alongside gifted and passionate people who have taught me more things about ministry and following the Lord than I have time to express to you all today. I, I'm proud to say this risk to come to the chapel, it could have been a grave disappointment. It could have been disaster. But instead, it has turned into something that has been incredible. And while it's true, there are no guarantees. There are, there are no guarantees when you put everything on the line. There's no guarantees you're going to get good results. I can't promise you that. 
But if we are following God's lead, if we are trusting him, then we can't let fear rob us of the unknown and what he is asking us to do. Because when we obey God and we do what he asks, this leads us to our bottom line today. That is, the most dangerous risks can often lead to the greatest rewards. So for the rest of our time together, I want to look at both the risks and the rewards for Jonah and the Ninevites as they did just this. And, I, and in the end, I'd like to take a moment to look at the risk and the reward for us in our lives when we take our next steps in trusting the Lord and taking our faith seriously in everyday life. So let's jump back into Jonah chapter 3 right at the very first verse that says this. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. I I love these first two verses because they are the exact echo of the first two verses of chapter 1. And if you you remember, the first two verses in chapter 1 say exactly that. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and, and announce my judgment against it. And now here we are. Once again, two chapters later, God is saying the exact same thing. You still haven't done it. And so I'm telling you once again, go to the great city of Nineveh and tell them what I have told you to say. And I love this because remember, God is a God of second chances. Because after Jonah tries to run from God, and he runs from God's call, God spares his life and shows him incredible grace and tells Jonah once again, go to Nineveh. Now, if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, let me briefly recap. So Jonah, uh, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is arguably the nastiest, meanest country that has we, the world has ever seen. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller, in his book that we've been reading together, the, he, he goes on to say this about Assyria. He says, The empire was unusually violent. It slaughtered and enslaved countless people, oppressed the poor. It was renowned for injustice, imperialism, and oppression of other people countries. This wasn't just taking place in other countries. This wasn't just happening to those outside of Nineveh because Pastor Keller goes on to say the text shows that the impulse towards exploitation and abuse was also eating away at the fabric of Nineveh's society. They were getting destroyed from the inside out. And as this is happening, uh, God says, you know what, they need a wake-up call. I'm, a, I'm done. I'm done with the injustice that they're giving to other people and that they're suffering themselves. So I'm sending Jonah to go have a chat with them on my behalf. And so he sends Jonah. I mean, after all, Jonah is a prophet. That is his job. And so after some convincing, we'll say, through a storm, through a fish, through the belly of the fish, Through some convincing, here we are once again, Jonah is on the shore and he is finally ready to take the risk, a dangerous risk. 
Let's go on to verse 3 and 4. It says this, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. And he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And I love it here when the text says that Jonah obeyed, because that's all he did. He obeyed. He did exactly what he had to do, and he did it reluctantly because he wasn't excited about this task whatsoever because in Jonah's eyes, he didn't want God to possibly bless the people of Nineveh. If you remember, in Jonah chapter 1, a couple weeks ago when we talked, we learned that Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. In fact, he hated the Ninevites. The last thing he wanted to do was to pronounce God's judgment and warn them of this. He didn't want God to bless them or possibly save them. This isn't what he desired, and we're going to learn more about that next week in chapter 4. But even more than Jonah's dislike towards the Ninevites was his, was his message that he had to deliver. I mean, he had to deliver a message about judgment. I, I mean, he doesn't walk into the city and say, hey, everyone, um, hey, just letting you know, you know, God's pretty pleased. Great job. Keep it up. God bless. He doesn't say that he has this message that makes the people pleaser in me cringe. Because I, I, I know myself, and if you've been around me for long, you know this, I don't like confrontation. I don't like ruffling feathers. And I can imagine I would have sugarcoated this message. I would have probably walked into the city and I would have probably said, um, guys, just so you know, uh, God is, he's not super happy with you. I mean, you know, he's not, he's not mad, but he's not happy. And if you would think about it, just think about it. You might want to change your ways a little bit so he doesn't hurt you. That's probably how I would have approached the Ninevites, because I don't like that. But he had this message of, of judgment against them. I, I, I mean, he speaks this message loud and clear. He says, look, if something doesn't change in your society, in your hearts, and in your lives real quick-like, you're going to be destroyed. God is going to wreak havoc upon you. And, and he just shouts this message to the crowds and in the streets. I don't know who wants to sign up for this task. I sure don't want to. And, 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 and this is likely the riskiest thing that Jonah has ever had to do in his life. Because even though he has God's backing in giving this message, there's no telling what the outcome's going to be. There's no guarantee here. I mean, at best... At best, the Ninevites could choose to just ignore Jonah. That would be best case scenario. Just ignore him. Worst case scenario, they kill him. I mean, these were violent oppressors. They would have killed Jonah and gotten rid of him and not even blinked an eye. That was a possibility. However, remember, with God, the most dangerous risks can lead to to the greatest rewards, because listen to what happens. The unthinkable happens in verse 5. It says, the people of Nineveh, they, they what? They believed? 
They believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. I mean, you'd mean to tell me they had two choices. They could either rise up in power and ignore God's message, or they could, they could humble themselves and listen to God's message. Now, if I didn't know this story, I would not guess this would be the case. If you were to ask me, what do you think they're going to do? I would say, they're going to ignore it. I mean, that's what we do. There's no way they're going to listen. But they, they do. I mean, they, they, they turn and they listen. And as a result, God rewarded them with this power to change their ways. And this, this power, this reward goes way beyond just ordinary Ninevites. I mean, as if seeing an entire city turn to God isn't enough, then, then we see this happening in the most powerful person in the city. Look at the very next verse in verse 6. It says, When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, and sat in a heap of ashes. Now the king's robe and the king's throne these are a symbol of power. These things communicate to the city and to the world that he is in control, that he is the most powerful. I mean, this king has made a career out of doing things that we can't talk about in this room. He is the head, he is the leader, he is the most powerful, and he is in control. But when he heard Jonah's message that God gave him to speak, Verse 6 tells us he took off his robe and he stepped down off of his throne. This is mind-boggling. I mean, this action that he takes is, is symbolically showing everyone. He's showing that, look, I am no longer on the throne. God is on the throne. I am no longer in, in power. God is in power. I am no longer in control. God is in control. This is an incredible display of humility and repentance. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. This is the miracle of Jonah, not the fish. This is it. I mean, I mean we, we can't even fathom. I find it easier to believe that Jonah would be swallowed by a fish, not chewed up and live three days in its belly, I find that easier to believe than I do that a king would step off his throne, take off his robe, and declare God to be in control and the most powerful. Because we know the human heart. And we know the human heart is, is, is ugly and what it's capable of. We know the pride and the selfishness that comes from our hearts. The fact that, that the people of the city did this and humbled themselves is amazing enough. But to think the king, the king did this, this is truly unbelievable. So I tell you, if ever you're talking to somebody about the Bible and they say, you know, I just can't really believe the whole Jonah story because of the fish, then you stop them and say, no, 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 that's nothing. You should read chapter three. Check out what the king did. That's the really unbelievable thing here. And as a result of the king and his repentance and humility, things happened. 
And then, and then the king sends this message out to the people. He says in verse 7, it says, The king and his nobles sent this decree through the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. I love how this pastor puts it when he says, you know, when he says their evil ways, this is like, uh, this is like being in prison. A people, they are trapped in their evil ways. They can't escape their evil ways. This is their prison. And when the king calls the Ninevites to turn, to repent, this is them going to rehab. It's when they turn from their evil ways, they can begin to get help. They can begin to heal and to live differently than what they have. Because of this, because of the king, because of the Ninevites receiving this ultimate reward, Remember, this is the exact thing Jonah doesn't want to see happen. He, he's not, he can't be happy about this. Because the very last verse in this chapter tells us this, that when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. He did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So, so you're telling me that this is all they had to do to, to have God give them another chance? Yes. Yes. Because God's lo God loves showing grace and mercy, and he loves showing grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it. We should be really glad about that. That is overwhelming news for us. Jonah's obedience to follow God's call, even when it was the ultimate risk, literally changed the lives of the city and all the people in it. It led to the greatest reward of them, them experiencing God's grace and mercy. And, and what if I told you we, we get to share the same life-giving opportunity as Jonah and the Ninevites. In fact, I'm going to borrow this from, from Pastor Keller in his book once again. He says it better than I can. He says, God is by nature ascending God. He never calls us and to bless us without also sending us out to be a blessing to others. In other words, if you follow Jesus, then you know you know what an incredible blessing it is to know Jesus. But let me put it this way. If you follow Jesus, yes, it is incredible to know Jesus, but it's even more incredible to be known by Jesus. I mean, get this, the king of the universe the one who is truly sitting on the throne, the one who knows what you have done, the, know, the one that knows what you will do, that one loves you. That is mind-boggling. That one loves you, and that should change everything for us. 
It should change everything. The same God who showed Jonah incredible patience shows us incredible patience. The same God who showed great grace and mercy to a group of people who didn't deserve it shows us grace and mercy, a group of people who don't deserve it. This is incredible. But how selfish if we just keep it to ourselves. Because we're not God's plan B, we're God's plan A. And we're his plan A for communicating his love to others. He's given this to us, and we need to tell others about his love and his wanting to have a relationship with them. We need to tell them. And so we need to tell them not only with our words, but we need to tell them with our actions. And so I know this is risky. I know, I, I know sharing our faith can be risky, and it can lead us to two very different roadblocks I want to share with you that you might have felt and experienced. The first roadblock that you might feel here is one that I feel often. It's insecurity. It's insecurity. This is you saying, you know, even if I want to tell my family and my friends about Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm insecure. I'm afraid that I won't know what to say. I'm afraid that they might ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. I'm insecure. In fact, I've just experienced this recently myself, this insecurity. And, and, and my insecurity recently has caused me to want to run. Let, let me just share. It was a couple of weeks ago, there was a death, a tragic death in our community. And we got a phone call requesting Pastor Todd and Pastor Eric and myself to go and talk to this person's co-workers in town who were struggling with the loss. I was afraid. I didn't want to go, and I wanted to run, and I did not want to go because I don't love people or because I don't want to help people. I didn't want to go because I was insecure, and in my insecurity, I, did, I, I wanted to run. I looked for every reason not to. I searched my calendar thinking, geez, something's got to be in the way, but there wasn't, so we went, and and. There was Todd and Eric and I, we were walking across the parking lot, and I simply, I finally, I said to Todd and Eric, I said, guys, I have to tell you something. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And Eric smiled, and Todd shook his head, and you know what he said to me? <laughs> Todd goes, whew, that's a relief, because I don't either. <laughs> that made me feel so good. <laughs> But it was hard. I, I felt so insecure. And for the next hour, we sat with this group of people, and we listened to them. We prayed with them. We cried with them. We talked with them. And I have no doubt in my mind that God used us in a powerful way that day. I have no doubt. We can't let our insecurities cause us to run. We can't let our insecurities get in the way of what God is asking us to do and from taking that risk. I wonder, in your life, if you were to pause for just a moment, who are you thinking about in your life? 
that you just would love to talk to, and you haven't, maybe because of insecurity. Can you picture someone? I wonder if God is saying, hey, take the risk, share. But I'm aware there's, there's other roadblocks besides insecurity. There's ones of uncertainty. You know, this is, this is like Jonah. We have no idea how somebody might respond. There are no guarantees when sharing our faith with people, especially in today's culture. We can get every reaction known to man. We can get people to laugh at us. We can get people to get angry with us. We can get people to talk badly about us, to slander us. We can get people to think we're crazy. And so it's just, it's easier to run. It's easier to run than to go and share our faith. And if this, is, if this is the case, can I ask you a blunt question? Can I ask you this? What if running away from God's call to share your faith is the very thing keeping people from a relationship with God? What, what if this is happening? Now, don't get me wrong. I know what we can do. Our part is to share. The results, we can't control those. Those are up to God. I leave those in his hands. He, he, he will direct the steps. I, I completely trust that, but we, we have to do our part. And what if us not sharing is keeping people from coming to know him? And I don't ask you that question to make you feel guilty. I ask you that question out of love and out of the love for others. What if we don't tell them? Who will? Who will? If it's true that the Ninevites, the group of people who were least likely to accept the message of Jesus Christ, if those people could somehow miraculously respond to Jesus, to God, what if, what if the same thing could happen in the lives of people that we love and care about too? I'm not going to lie, I've shared my faith a number of times with a number of different people, and I've gotten all sorts of different reactions. I've had people tell me to stop. I've had people tell me they didn't want to hear it. I've had people even say, hey, you can come to this thing, but you can't talk about Jesus. I've had people do all sorts of things that have made me uncomfortable. That has happened. But I've also had moments and times when God has prompted me to speak up and to listen and to share and to ask questions. And amazing things have happened. I'm thinking about a time in particularly I was sitting with this person and it was a person that clearly had different beliefs than I did clearly had different values than I did, clearly had a different lifestyle than I live. And during that conversation, God prompted me to ask them this question, how do you feel about God? And to which the person got upset and, and, and told me all the reasons they didn't like church. And I said, I didn't ask you how you felt about church. I asked you how you feel about God. There was a moment of silence. And, and then this person looked at me and, and began to share all their hurts they had felt and all they were angry with God 
They were frustrated with God for the things that had happened in their life, and they began to share these things with me. It was the most amazing conversation I've had in a long time. And I would love to say, oh, they just instantly gave their life to the Lord, and it was all good. That was not the case, but what it did do was it opened a door for me now. I have a relationship with them. I'm able to have conversations with them on a regular basis, and so I pray. I pray that maybe, just maybe, someday, I will have the opportunity to lead this person to Jesus Christ. And I pray that someday, just maybe, you might have the same opportunity with people in your life as well. Because don't forget the most dangerous risk can lead to the most amazing rewards. So let me close this morning with just three potential next steps to offer you. The first next step I want to offer you is is, is this. It's to encourage you to live a life where people aren't surprised you follow Jesus. There is nothing worse then sharing your faith with someone and they find out you're a Christ follower and they go, huh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> There's nothing worse than that. We want people to know we are Christ followers. There are too many people that want nothing to do with Jesus and it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with us. We, 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 we should live in such a way that when we do share about Jesus, they go, ah, makes sense now. I get it. I always knew they were kind and generous and loving, and now I understand why. They're not surprised. We want people to want what we have. And I'm asking you, would someone be surprised if they found out that you have your faith in Jesus Christ? Would that shock someone? And if it does, it might be time to begin to make some serious changes in your life. We don't want someone to be surprised that we follow Jesus. Let me give you a second next step to follow. Pray. Pray. Pray is, prayer is essential when it comes to sharing our faith because it puts us in a position where we can lean on God and where we can ask him to speak through us. It's through prayer that we can have confidence in sharing with others and to speaking with others. It's the only way we can have confidence. And over the past year, we've talked about my three. Those are the three people in your life that don't know Jesus, that you are, are, are praying regularly for, that you are investing in, that you are working to encourage on a regular basis. They're your my three. And, and maybe with Easter coming up, this is a great opportunity for you to, yes, pray for your my three, but I hope invite them to come to one of the services here. I hope we've made that easy for you to do, to invite others to come to the services. Maybe this is your chance with your my three. Ask them to come. Ask them to come. The, the last next step I want to give you is one that requires all of us together. It's not an individual act. It's all of us. Be the church. God would be proud to call his own. 
what kind of a church would God be proud of? A church that lived in such a way where we were loving each other in such a way that that flowed out into the community? Then the community felt safe with us. The community felt like they could come and be safe and belong here. That kind of church. A church where we not only teach God's word, but where we live it out in such a way where people can experience God through us. The church that is known for both preaching truth, preaching grace. A church that is known for what they are for, not for what they are against. A church that, that loves people so much that it becomes attractive to others. I promise you that people on the outside of faith, on the outside of these walls, if we were that kind of church, they would consider coming because we would be irresistible to them if we were a church with God at the center of it all. We would be irresistible. And of course, even doing these things, then we leave the results to God. We hold it out and say, Lord, we've done our part. We have done what we need to do. Now we trust you with what comes next. This is hard. And, it, and, and there is times we will not know the outcome. There are no guarantees. I wish I could tell you there were. It's dangerous and it's risky. But if we've learned nothing from Jonah, we've learned this one thing, that the most dangerous risk can lead to the greatest rewards. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for this church, for these people that I get to serve with, or I get to live with. I'm so, I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I'm thankful for the people in my life that shared with me about you. And I know all of us in this room have stories as well of people who have shared with them. Lord, I'm asking for opportunities to do that as well. But not only opportunities, Lord, but when we face those barriers of insecurities and uncertainties, Lord, I pray that it would be you that would trump those things, that our faith in you, our trust in you would outweigh those things. Lord, give us courage and strength. Lord, thank you for the example in this story as well, that you can change hearts and lives in amazing ways. So we commit this to you. We pray that everything done in this place brought you joy, honor, and glory today, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.